0: Hey, what's up? It's Emily, and I'm pretty sure that compassionate, coordinated healthcare is something on the top of everyone's mind. That is why I love Live by Advantia Health. From primary care to mental health and gynecology to obstetrics, Live understands these are all connected and important to you. Live is a membership based practice in the heart of DC that prioritizes your experience. Plus, Live accepts all major insurance. So take charge of your healthcare on your schedule and choose Live. Learn more and become a member by searching for Live by Advantia. L-I-V by Advantia. Hey, what's up? It's Emily. And now more than ever, compassionate, coordinated healthcare is at the forefront of our minds and something I want to prioritize. That's why I love Live by Advantia Health. Live is a healthcare practice that provides complete women's health and wellness, and it's all in one place. From primary care to mental health and gynecology to obstetrics, Live understands these are all connected and important to you. And with Saturday hours, you can find time for your health care on your schedule. With Live, you'll have a care team that works together with you to personalize a wellness plan around your distinct needs and goals. Their innovative care model puts you at the center, making it easy to start out healthy and stay that way. So how does it work? Live is a membership-based practice and the heart of DC that prioritizes your experience. And on top of top-notch patient care, members also get access to care coordination, same-day prescription delivery, exclusive events, and so much more. Plus, they accept all major insurance. So take care of your healthcare on your schedule and choose Live. Learn more and become a member by searching for Live by Advantia. That's L-I-V by Advantia.
1: Hello again, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of The Big Red Bus as we drive out into the streets of Chicago. I look to my right, there's my co-pilot, the great one, Doug Tonis, the podfather. But just behind us, in back of Doug, to my right, is one of the most illustrious, talented writers of the beloved bull, the great Rob Schaefer, the owner of the Iron Pen. How are you, my brother?
2: I'm good, Fred. It's good to be here. It's my first big red bus ride. Uh, I can already see some turbulence ahead, but um, I, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well,
1: you're one of our few distinguished guests. Let's see, we've only had like probably four, right Doug, since we've gone to uh, to the shy City Sports side, right? I think it's been you. We've had uh, Darnell Mayberry, the great Darnell Mayberry. We've had Sean Hyken and then uh, a little bit less distinguished and Mark Kay from Australia. So we've, uh, it's a pretty good group you're joining.
2: That is Distinguished Company. Yeah, that's, talk about imposter syndrome.
3: That is, That is quite the list. Well, well, Rob, you're the first one to actually go with Fred and, and pretend you're on a real bus. You're the first one to actually continue the metaphor. I don't, I don't know if that makes you a standout. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm usually against the metaphor, so you've officially taken Fred's side uh, at the start of this show, so, you know. I, I think I'm going to
2: end up right? his side on a few things by the end of this. So it's good to start on a good note.
1: <laughs> Doug, if you don't watch that, I'm going to ask Rob to describe the bus for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> All right. So let's hit the ground running here with um, in a previous episode of The Big Red Bus, I was able to learn from Darnell Mayberry. I was actually surprised by some of his comments on Billy Donovan post game. And for our listeners who obviously don't attend every post game like you do, uh, he, he had surmised that Billy was a little bit slyly rough on Zach Levine, and which caused me to some concern that maybe Zach has still not played his way to untradeable with the organization. First of all, do you still sense these, these sly comments from Billy? And second of all, do you think Zach has approached untradeable status?
2: I would not characterize it as rough. Uh, just observing the way that Billy has talked about Zach, I would call it as in line with how he's been really up and down the roster as challenging, as publicly challenging, pointedly challenging. He has been that way with Zach, specifically with the turnover issues that we saw from him early in the season that seemed like was course-correcting, and then it popped up a little bit before the All-Star break. He was very pointed in, in his criticism of that, which I think... Honestly, just getting to know Billy as much as we have, it's it's a limited capacity. But it seems like when he comes publicly with criticism of a player, it's really just an extension of his conversations with that player. So I don't think I don't think there's anything to read into it in terms of him being too rough on Zach. Uh, but I think Zach is someone who you know obviously holds himself to a higher standard, and maybe that's just the leadership that he responds to. I think you could extend that to Kobe White, who who Billy Donovan has publicly challenged and criticized in his first year. Uh, maybe criticized isn't even the right word, but it just has publicly challenged him in his first year kind of running this point guard spot really for the first time in his basketball life has challenged him to find that balance uh, between shooting, scoring, setting other guys up, things like that. Uh, Obviously Wendell Carter Jr., the three-point shooting experiment, the preseason was well-documented. I think, um, you know, Billy was, was very publicly challenging of him in that Uh, at the same time though, like that's, that's kind of what, that's kind of what has defined Billy's deft hand kind of on this roster has been the balance between, you know, coming out and telling the truth about guys when he sees things that they're doing well and seeing things that they need to improve on, but at the same time, not doing that in a tear-you-down kind of way, doing it in an uplifting, supportive, the, you know, we know that he can do this, that's why we're demanding more of him uh, type of way. So I, I wouldn't characterize the Zach thing as rough, but it's it's clear, it, I honestly think it almost speaks to how solid their relationship is already, um, that Zach is responding well and that's resonating with him, that kind of challenging, but... Uh, uplifting style so rough isn't the word I would use but it's certainly um, I think emblematic of Billy's broader coaching style that this young group was certainly or it seems like they were kind of craving or, or were ready for but it just had to come from the right source uh, and Billy certainly has been that for all of his you know uh, past accomplishments and things like that and it certainly resonated and, and translated as much as as much as you could say that it has
1: before we go to UDT, one follow-up to this because Darnell also said that other players like Laurie Markkinen were treated with kid gloves have you sensed this also? Uh,
2: yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's one way to put it. I think, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to posit some grand conspiracy here. I think it's a, probably a case of just Billy knowing what leadership styles different guys respond to. But, and I told you I'd bring examples. I, I think there was a great example kind of at the end of January, early February uh, there was a sequence in a practice where um, you know Billy was back to back. I know Darnell asked the second question. I can't remember if he asked the first question. So apologies to Darnell if he did, and I'm not properly crediting him. But he definitely asked the second question. The first one was to Billy about Zach about his turnovers. First word out of his mouth, out of Billy's mouth was, "It's too much." I understand lead offensive players. Uh, you got the ball in your hands. You're going to be more susceptible to turnovers. But he and what Billy said, and this is why I, I think it's an extension of their relationship. He said, "I think Zach would tell you some of them are careless." Um, you know, some of them are unacceptable. So that's 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 pointed criticism, which I think was warranted. The next question, and again, I know Darnell asked this one, was about Lowry having one of the worst uh, plus minus plus minuses in the league. And Billy basically just went on a um, an extended answer. And actually, I agreed with him because I think there can always be more context to the on off ratings uh, conversation. Um, like we're too hard on guys sometimes, when, and not don't give full credit to the lineup context and who they're going against and things like that. Uh but he basically dismissed that um at hand because he said he hadn't looked into it enough. Um there was a more poignant example of the Lowry thing, I think a few nights later, after the second Knicks game, if you guys remember when they had that home and home against the Knicks. Yes. Um in the first game, Lowry had had his second straight thirty point game. Um in this and Billy had said after that, kind of puzzlingly, that he had been quote unquote phenomenal defensively, even though Julius Randle had a pretty good game and I don't know. Lowry, you know, for whatever you know, ups and downs he has defensively. I don't think phenomenal is ever a word that I've watched and used to describe him, but I'm a novice. Um, you know, Billy's the coach. Uh, fe- February 3rd, um, two nights later, after the second Knicks game, Lowry, and it's it's a classic Lowry thing, and it, I think it's a reasonable question. He had nine points on eight shots in 36 minutes. Randall on the other end had 27-6-6, six and six, and Lowry had said that morning at shoot-around that he takes that, you know, that defensive matchup personally. And I asked Billy, kind of, did he think that Lowry did enough to affect other areas of the game, even though his shot wasn't falling, he was three of eight from the field and zero of four from three. I think, again, I think we can all agree that that's a thing with Lowry is the up and down production, and sometimes when the shots aren't falling, he can kind of phase in and out of the game.
1: Absolutely, yep.
2: And the answer was basically just no. I thought he was really physical. He got a couple fouls. He he did commit a couple fouls on Julius Randle. Um, he praised him for getting downhill on a few possessions. He said, you know, the shots were off overall. I thought he was aggressive. He had an off shooting night. But he was good offensively. He broke out. That he really tried hard. He really competed. Thing, which always is a little bit of a, a red flag uh, for me for obvious reasons, um, when when verbiage like that gets broken out. So again, I don't think this is like a big deal necessarily, but it certainly is something where you can see the different ways that he um, interacts with and treats publicly uh, certain players. I think Lowry he generally skews more towards the kind of supportive side. Um, you see this one, we've been kind of asking about Lowry's return and kind of how they missed him and, and what he expects from them when they come back. He's been pretty unequivocal that they miss him and there's no question about it. Um, and that he'll make the team better when he's back and they've been worse without him. Um, you know, I'm sure there's some gray area that too, there too, to be totally honest. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I really actually think it's probably more of a point in Billy's credit than something to criticize him for because he is aware of those dynamics, even being new to this team. Uh, but it certainly is something that exists. I, I do agree with the premise.
3: Well, I mean, now Rob has completely shifted to my side of the bus. One, he trashed plus minus. Fred's <laughs> favorite thing to quote, <laughs> game plus minus numbers is some kind of fact of like some meaningful thing. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm thrilled for that. And uh, I love just the sly, you know, kind of uh, totally straight-faced joke there about being a novice. That was that was, that was amazing. So uh, that that was just tremendous. I got to say one thing. I, I agree with you completely And and – you know, I, I work in a leadership role at my company, and knowing how to lead different types of people and different styles of people is important. And as a athlete when I was younger, and a bad athlete, it was nothing special, I played tennis, it really, really killed me when any coach was hard on yeah. me. Like, I did not respond to that at all. And there are other guys on our team who, you know, they responded very well to, to tough-minded coaches, and I was not one of them. Like, I, I definitely needed the kid gloves. I was mentally weak, uh, probably why I never amounted to a whole lot. But... Yeah, you know, it, it it you use different strategies for different people, and I think that I agree with Rob completely. I think you know, that's what Billy's doing here.
1: Really quick though, Doug, isn't that a uh, red flag or negative comment about Larry, if he's going to be uh, going to a shelter every time somebody gives him a criticism? I think that's a horrible sign. I think, Lee yeah, I need mean, to
3: be I, I, it's well documented that I'm not a fan of Lowry, so sure, I'll say I'll answer yes to that. Like, but but I, I mean, I think it's a credit for Billy Donovan either way that. You know, he he understands what Lowry might respond well to, or I mean, absolutely. And, you know, maybe yeah, absolutely. right. So it, and I don't know if that's true necessarily that Lowry can't take criticism. Maybe it's part of his free agency. Maybe it's part of you know, I have no idea. But if if that is a thing, and Lowry does, and he has a different background, right? You know, just being Finnish, he's is he a completely different cultural background, and there may be a piece of that that you know, this is how you do things, and 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 whatever that is, I don't know, but. Uh, understanding how people react to get the best out of them is, is a critical function of a head coach. And we've seen Billy do a great job this whole year with the team uh, and everyone playing better. So, you know, I definitely trust him to, to understand and push those buttons where necessary. Zach completely strikes me as a guy who would just be like, throw it all at me. Be hard on me as you can. I, I'm going to respond to that. I'm going to outwork it. I'm going to do whatever to, to make it better. So, you know, I, I definitely don't think there's a negative, uh, like you pointed out, with those comments towards Zach being maybe a little bit harder, rougher. I think that's probably exactly what, what Zach wants and needs and, and wants to be pushed and, and wants to get better. So I, that, I'm not concerned about that piece of it at all.
2: Yeah, Fred, I, I wouldn't take it as evidence necessarily that Lowry is like, quote, I'm putting you know words in at people's mouths listening. maybe I don't think it's evidence that he's necessarily soft or that he runs and hides from criticism or anything like that. I think it's just a sensitivity from Billy Donovan. And again, I think it's more of a point to Billy Donovan's credit than to anybody's detriment, him or Lowry. Um, so I don't think that that alone is necessarily uh, evidence of that. Although, you know, anybody watching or whatever, people are going to have their own opinions. And at some point there's not really anything you could do about that. But I will say just as a disclaimer, I don't necessarily think that's evidence of that. I think it's just something that I've noticed. Clearly Darnell has noticed it um, to, to some extent too. And um, yeah, just something that is certainly a, a dynamic of these postgame pressers and
3: practice pressers and, and everything like that. Okay. So, so, Rob, we got we got eight games coming up in 12 days. I don't know if you've like looked ahead at the schedule and doing your prep work or whatever. I, lived, uh, I live on the schedule. <laughs> yeah, which is, I mean, who doesn't? I mean, I, I think we all just night and day live on the schedule. Uh, so just for for the fans at home, uh, we've got three back-to-backs. So six of the eight games are part of back-to-backs and, and two are not. And it's also a pretty rough run of teams, uh, though we catch a break with Philadelphia with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid both being out for that game. But we've got Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Miami, Toronto, OKC, San Antonio, Denver, Detroit, and then Utah. How do you think the Bulls are going to fare over this eight-game stretch? One thing, while they have played a lot better and the record has been a lot better and they've been entertaining, uh, they've mostly just been bumslaying, right? Like they're, they're, yeah. It's a first start to being a, a, an average team is to beat bad teams. So I, I don't mean that in a negative way. It's, it's great that the Bulls are doing that. But they've not, like, what is their biggest statement win? on the year, I mean, it's really Indiana. hard to even figure out what that is. Maybe Indy, you know, maybe you go back to Portland uh, earlier oh, yes. in the year. But how do you think they're going to do against a stretch, against a lot of good teams, a lot of games in a short period of time? I, I think it's probably, to answer that one
2: point of conversation, I think it's probably Portland at the beginning of the year, but that Indiana uh, that Indiana overtime win um, is up there for me too. Because those are actually two, I, I went and looked up today, they're 4-12 and 12 against teams that right now are at or above 500. I believe that's how um, ESPN formulates it. And I went back and looked for those wins. And one of them is one of the Knicks wins because they're 19 and 18 right now. There's two Dallas ones in there. One of them, they were without, I believe, and Amporzingis, if memory serves. And then the right. other one, um, they were without Hardaway, Josh Richardson. So there was some injury luck there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, obviously the Portland one. So that's, I mean, that it was a theme last year when they had that infamous 2-23 and 23 mark. I mean, 4-12 and 12 isn't as bad as that. Um, but it's still, you know, a marker that that needs to be improved. In terms of how how I think they're going to do over the stretch, I, I I honestly don't know. I have a really hard time on a night to night basis predicting results for this team. Uh, my colleague Casey Johnson and I we we generally will exchange a text before every game, just kind of W or L. Not again, not obviously not that we're rooting for either result, covering the team and everything, but just what we think is going to happen. I have not kept track of my track record on that, but I can't imagine it's good because I just. I do find this team to be a little bit unpredictable on a night-to-night basis. I don't know what to make of them coming out uh, of an all-star break. I don't know if that's really for a young team that's been up and down. I I genuinely do not know if that's going to be a productive recharging uh, period or if rust is going to set in. Um, I I will say I kind of pinpointed, Doug, as you just explained that kind of eight-game stretch there. I pinpointed 4-4 and as kind of the mark that if I'm gonna, you know, be willing to entertain the optimism that's around the team right now, spanning through the rest of the second half, I think I really do need to see four and four provided reasonable health. You know, barring nothing goes uh, crazy haywire over that span, because you look at the Philly game without Embiid and Simmons, and potentially getting Lowry and Otto back. That's just a game you got to have, especially at home. I know home court doesn't matter this year, but especially at home, Absolutely. Miami. That that's a tough one back to back, especially because uh, they're healthy now and they were on a roll. I think they won seven to eight going into the break. Toronto on Sunday worth monitoring. They're still gonna be without OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, and Pascal Siakam tomorrow. Uh, with with this uh you know uh, protocol situation that they're dealing with. I don't know all the intric- intricacies of it, but I know they'll be without them at least tomorrow. I, I wouldn't necessarily expect that to go to Sunday, but it's worth monitoring, I guess. Um, so you figure the Philly win, I think has to be a win. Miami Toronto, even if he pencil those in his losses, OKC Spurs, you, you have to be you have to beat the Thunder this time around. Spurs, if that's a loss, you're a two and three. Uh, And then the Pistons, I think, is pretty clearly a win, or at least it should be. Um, Then you have Denver and Utah in there. I think if you get the three wins that you absolutely have to have, Philadelphia, OKC, Detroit, and then you steal one of the other ones and you kind of make a dent in that narrative of they can't be good teams, um, I feel feel much better in being secure that the optimism around this team um, is warranted and is sustainable. I guess it it is warranted right now in a vacuum, but sustainable. Um, so that, that would be the mark that i would be looking for them to hit in terms of what i actually think they'll do and what i would predict they would do i, I really don't know i could see five and three six and two they've they've surprised me you know at, at a bunch of different turns this year at a bunch of different junctures because i spent a lot of the early part of the season kind of still stuck in 201920 mode because it's largely the same roster you kind of have to kick that that habit of just how you view the team um i could also see you know two and six three and five so i i, I really don't know i wouldn't feel Safe going out on the limb and making any prediction, but four and four is pretty much what I'd be looking for as the baseline of what
3: I would want to see from them. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you. I don't think you can predict more than four and four. I, I think anything over four and four would be positive upside surprise to me. You can see four with Philly, OKC, San Antonio, and Detroit. I think those games are all pretty winnable. Toronto, yeah, if they have COVID issues. That game becomes winnable, but I'm, I'm with you. I don't think that those will probably extend till Sunday. But yeah, four and four would be would be an acceptable stretch. You go two and six, and and I think that's real trouble. And three and five, maybe you can talk yourself into yeah, it was okay at least if some of the games are close.
1: Well, what about six and two? Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. What
2: about what about seven and one? <laughs> yeah, what seven, seven one, and one.
1: Right? No, yeah, I gotta say one thing though. Let's calm down. With the, uh, the the Bulls got a huge break with the Sixers on Friday. I'm so sick of reading it. All the listeners who who've been posting how lucky we are. Yeah. Yeah, we got lucky, but considering the amount of COVID cases and injuries that we suffered this year, the injuries last year, the previous decade, I think we got about you know 25,000 breaks before we're even. So let's just calm down about a Friday in, in March that we got lucky. Give me a break. All right, we'll go on to the next one. Um, all right, so you guys are going way too close. i got to throw this in there to kind of separate you a little bit because uh, the, the plus, minus, <laughs> plus minus really bothered me, that conversation. And this is one where I think hopefully that uh, – Rob will come a little bit more to my side, which is uh, Thad Young. You know, a lot of debates on whether or not to trade him. I believe uh, trading Thad Young would be devastating for this team's playoff hopes. I think it would be devastating for the future of Zach Levine with the Bulls. Uh, Doug's a big believer in trading him for you know a late first-round pick. Where do you fall on that argument, Rob? And I want to know what the line is. So let's throw out a hypothetical with, with Boston. If it's Neesmith and they're number one, would you make that deal?
2: I have lived on the fence of the Thad Young conversation because I I genuinely see both sides of it. I I really genuinely do. I think I've come around, especially after hearing AK speak the week before the break to pretty much being in the camp that I don't think you can trade him and that I wouldn't trade him. That's good. I, I think he's, well, there's a lot of different elements to this take, but the, the headline of it, I think is that you have a front office regime and Billy Donovan, of course, Everybody who was made a fresh hire this offseason and came in to kind of reset the culture, rebuild the franchise up to you know its previous stature, the tagline, the thing that everybody repeated, it was the first thing out of their mouths, was player development. The last three years of this team, basically the entirety of this rebuild, the frustration point has been talent that is not developing, talent that is not being utilized properly, talent that hasn't had enough time together just because of injuries or, or other uh, kind of extenuating circumstances uh, to you know, be cohesive and gel together, and I think now you're seeing, you know, you don't have to be sold on all these guys long-term, you know, I won't get to the, you know, who's tradable and who's not, I don't think really anyone not named Patrick Williams, and and you can make the Zach Levine argument, is untouchable, necessarily, at this point, after this season, but because of how integral I think Thad Young is, in a lot of different aspects, I think one, on the court, um, you know... Here's, now now you've boxed me in a corner, I can't use his on-off splits. But I don't think you necessarily need to. Uh, because <laughs> sure
1: you can. Just stay on my side. Look reading. at Doug's all alone.
2: But he's, his I think his playmaking is self-evident. I think the way that he has been a release valve for Zach and kind of uh, helped him along the path of uh, being better at reading the floor, especially passing out of double teams, that's opened up so much for his game. He's clearly instrumental there. We've really seen the bond that they forged um, when they were in Minnesota together, when Zach was a rookie. We've really seen that kind of manifest in a way this year that it wasn't necessarily last year because is just being utilized in a better way, um, playing almost half his minutes at center and really thriving um, in, in a lot of the different uh, contexts that they're putting him in. So I think on the floor, he's obviously helping Zach a ton. I think the amount of defensive attention Zach receives, if you remove Thad from that equation, you could really you know end up with a different situation uh, with Zach than what we've seen in the first half. Obviously, his passing is helping everyone up and down the roster, from veterans and Tomas Sadoransky to Lowry when he was uh, healthy. I think we'll see that more when Lowry comes back, how much opportunity Thad was opening up for him. A frontcourt combination that didn't really work last season, and it's been a small sample size this year, but I've liked what I've seen, at least, from them. Um, And then, you know, you could go down the line on the on-court stuff. Off the court, he's just one of the most popular guys in the locker room, and you have a locker room that is fully bought in to, you know, what Billy Donovan is selling to pursuing winning as much as they possibly can. And I get it. You don't want to sacrifice long-term opportunity because you don't want to sacrifice too much for a run at, you know, a seven, eight, nine, 10 playoff. seed. like, trust me, I, I'm totally in agreement on that, but I just think there is also a long-term aspect to this conversation of, isn't there something beneficial to the long-term of developing the guys that are on the roster right now? Um, I know nobody wants that young to be this essential to this team, but he is. And to me, for all that, you know, side anecdote is locker, he the, him and Patrick Williams have said is right next to Patrick Williams. He's impacting Patrick Williams's growth, he's impacting Wendell Carter Jr.'s growth as a facilitator, obviously impacting Zach. Just the spectrum of his effect on this team, I think, it is so wide that again, no one's untouchable. But it would take a godfather offer, and when I say godfather, I mean godfather relative to a guy like Thad Young, like godfather to his relative value. It would take me a lot to um um, to to work up the the gumption to be able to do that i that's where I've landed on it again I see both sides um in terms of the Celtics offer of I almost forgot about that Neesmith and their one uh, that doesn't really move me um i'm'm I'm i since pre-draft i haven't been the biggest Neesmith fan so uh, maybe there's another offer that's kind of constructed like that that i could get on board with but in terms of that one i if on the bulls I, I personally wouldn't be interested in that um, but yeah, that's where I've come down on the fad thing um it's been excruciating and i've had to cast my subjectivity aside just because I love watching him play so much and he's such a joy to cover um, but I, I really do think that there's a case for uh, a management regime that came in preaching player development and you have players developing you have player buy-in to strip that away especially if you're going to build around Zach which you know we'll see if they do but if they are going to stripping away a guy like Thad I just don't know what message that sends to your franchise player and I don't know what message it sends really up and down the roster that just as signs of progress are starting to form um, it gets kind of cut out from under them. Um, so I, I don't necessarily know what they're going to do. Um, I, I don't know hundred percent either way, but for me, it, I would be very, very hard pressed to move them
1: at this point. Doug, that had to be difficult for you. Um, maybe we can pick up I, Sylvie you, and he'll see What, send what are you year.
3: talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> you that said you would trade ver- him for a late first that rounder. Is, that is nearly verbatim what I said last week <laughs> on the show when I came around and admitted defeat on Thad Young. Oh,
1: good. All right. I just wanted, I,
3: last, you didn't quite put week, it that I way. Admitted, I admitted defeat I'm, I'm with you. I admitted defeat with you. I said, hey, like, uh, I, I, so you gotta, you got to keep Thad Young. And, and the argument is pretty much what Rob laid out is, He's so important to Zach Levine. You want to get Zach Levine in the fold. Zach Levine wants to win. Zach Levine is not going to deal with, we traded this guy so we could get like a, the 25th pick in the draft. <laughs> yes, and okay. we could tank. Like that has, like, Zach's not interested in that. He's going to be gone. And Zach is now good enough that you have to care if he stays because it's not, you got to get like three guys that good that win a title. And if you have one, then you look for the next two. You don't. Push him out of town and then look for three. So, I I admitted defeat on Thad Young. Fred, you're right on that one. Rob, I agree with everything you said. You're still a genius. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I am in complete agreement there.
2: Oh, good. And, well, for, and, at least all and, wait, and let me let me butt in quickly just for the just for a little bit of on-off magic. Bulls with Zach <laughs> and Thad on the floor, plus eight point six net rating, one twenty-one point three points per hundred possessions on offense, one hundred twelve point seven on defense allowed. Zach on. Thad off minus 10.4 net rating 105.4 offense 115.8 defense i mean that right there i i i've i'm contradicting myself i'm completely going against every day i there there is nuance i think that supports that um but yeah i, I think the impact on zach is easily the headline of that and then there's just so many other compelling points of it too um I, I just, I don't know. I would just be so hard pressed to do it.
1: I could listen to
3: these He's on, off best on the team. All, all day. He's
2: the second best player in the team, right? Is he, oh, here's one. I don't, because I, you guys may have debated this before. I haven't heard you. Is he, the, is he the best teammate Zach has had in
1: Chicago? Yeah. We, yeah. I, I'd say without a doubt, unequivocally. Laurie, you can make the argument as in his rookie year had some, or Nico potentially, uh, but Zach didn't come back. He didn't play with them at their best. Although I think 2019, Laurie averaging 25 10 was really good, but you no know, overall this year I have no doubts it's Dad Young is the best yeah, teammate. It's
3: Cago for sure, right?
1: Yeah, I
2: mean well,
3: like it's like Addis is his best teammate. Yeah, number, they, they yeah. Not, Cal- so. no, no question, no question.
1: Do you have those on off numbers? I could listen to these all day, Doug. I hope you don't mind. I just want to ask him one <laughs> more about uh, on-off on off on Laurie, which I'm a little concerned about. You know, Bulls were five and nine with him. They, didn't really exactly like the world on fire and none of those teams they beat were over five hundred from if memory serves me well. I think they might have beat the Knicks with them once. So uh,
2: the, the Knicks were under five hundred when that game was played. Yeah. yeah I yeah. think it counts as an above five hundred game now because the Knicks have clawed too above five hundred. You want to know Zach and Lowry like,
1: Yes, yes, together okay. on off. Or when the, and here's,
2: off, here's where I throw here's where I throw caution in just because the starting lineup was so central to the two just outrageously alarming blowout losses to start the season. Like, especially because of how limited Lowry's sample size is now. I, I there, there's there's nuance here that we might not have time to get into today for this.
3: Don't, don't even repeat it. Don't even don't even honor yeah. it, Rob. Yeah. Fred, <laughs> I'll send you. I'll, Fred, I'll send you a link. I'll send you a link, and you can you
1: can tweet about Sounds it. Sounds good. Sounds
3: good. <laughs> go on, I, go. I don't know. I don't know how you can get into on-off numbers with like Lowry. Like on-off. If, I mean, if you look <laughs> at the people who are statistical es- experts, they'll say like things like RPM and on-off numbers. Even when you do the regression to like value them, not just as like the pure raw numbers, but you try and uh, regress them against quality of competition and all that stuff. They say it takes around a season, season and a half for them to really start to have any type of accuracy. And then the problem is that things change so much over that period of time that even that is, is difficult. By the time they become statistically relevant, like things have changed too much and then they, they lose their relevancy again. But and, and so all I mean by that is someone like Lowry, however much you normally view these as valuable, which to me is not a whole lot, but with Lowry they're like super non-valuable. And with the Bulls, it's just a weird thing because they're starting so many young players in the starting lineup. The starting lineup is so bad and gets beat up so often mm-hmm. because they're playing the best players. And then they bring in, like, a lot of the really good players off the bench who then plays the other team's bad players. So, like, when you just look at the raw numbers, I mean, I think the Bulls numbers are just, like, really jacked up in a comparison it's and, a and have even less less value than, than otherwise. Uh, so I think it's my turn to throw one your way around. Uh, yeah, yeah. Question question for me is all right, we had we had Gar Foreman and John Paxson and I know you're a writer so you don't get like super emotional about the GM like the fans do. Like there was like lynch mobs out for these guys, right? Like by the general fan base, I'm sure you're at least aware that fans were like just ready for these guys to go. Yeah, no doubt. AK, AK and ME come in and you know, we don't really do anything in the off season except sign Garrett Temple. And draft Patrick Williams, who at number four, in a, I don't know if he's the fourth best player in the draft. That was a really t- tough draft position, though, so I'm not going to ha- hold that against them, If you know, Patrick Williams. You know, if he's a possible player, it's fine. Maybe it'd be great. But, you know, whatever. They used their draft pick. They didn't make any trades. Didn't do anything in the offseason. Didn't unload anyone. Didn't bring anyone in except a kind of uh, – Temple was a good signing. And they kept Valentine, I guess, instead of Chris Dunn. Maybe mm-hmm. that worked out well, too and we're going to go into the trade deadline and my feeling and kind of maybe based, this might be your feeling I'm projecting because you just said, you don't think they'll trade that young. Uh, And I I think we agree that probably won't happen. And there's rumors that won't happen. And I don't know what other trades they might make, but I think they're probably going to end up doing nothing. We're going to go a full season potentially with the new front office doing nothing. And, and like people are like psyched about it. And I just like, I, it's just like baffles me. Like, does that, is that my, I, I, maybe there's no question, there's just a statement there of my opinion, so that, that's awful of me, but do you think, do you think, do you think AK and ME, are they really bringing something different right now, or is there just kind of bringing in a head coach and letting the roster marinate, uh, just kind of actually reflect well on, on the job the previous regime did, or are we just so screwed that there's just no good moves to make? Yeah, it's a good point, it's an interesting point, because it is the roster
2: that basically that the old regime assembled right I mean Garrett, Garrett Temple has been a great signing especially bang for Buck yeah absolutely. he's not necessarily a franchise altering player obviously and Patrick Williams as much as I've been impressed with him and I think he show, he shows tremendous promise like he's a rookie and he's not you know necessarily affecting winning on a night-to-night basis um, right. you know in the way that he might down the line so it, it's an interesting question I just think the mistake that the old regime made and they made more than this one but the one that is that was so poisonous and that so kind of just tainted this rebuild and ultimately led to them, you know, not being uh, or not running the Bulls anymore was the Jim Boylan hire and the Jim Boylan extension. I, I think it roots back to what is the biggest difference between this team from last year to this year. And it's the head coach slash coaching staff. I was going to credit the coaching staff too. Um, but because the difference is not only in the the team wide results, which, you know, maybe not, I haven't been like crazy, crazy stark yet. Cause again, small samples, but it feels different. Um, but the, you know, the results in terms of offensive efficiency, the results in terms of individual performances, and again, there's noise. And, and again, it's halfway through the season. But when you look at the leap Zach has made, now Zach improved every year under Jim Boylan too. Uh, but the leap Zach has made, we'll see how much Lowry's hot start sustains, but he was looking significantly more comfortable, um, under Billy Donovan, Wendell Carter Jr. I, I'm higher on him the most. A lot of people ride the ups and downs, um, pretty, uh, uh pretty hard. Um, but he's still at a career-high scoring average, a career-high assist average. Thad Young it has obviously exploded, and that's led to all these positive effects. So, I mean, I really think that coaching change has had such a seismic effect that, and again, you mentioned it, I'm a writer, like I'm not a fan of the team, so I can, I'm can. i a little bit more cool-headed about this. I don't, and I never saw the problem in the offseason either, although, again, I, I'm an empathetic person, so I, I always understand the criticism, and at one point in my life, I was a fan, so I can I can tap into that. I understand the frustration with the stagnancy, but at the same time, I kind of see the logic in thinking – Let's not come in here and go full nuclear.
0: Hey, what's up? It's Emily, and I'm pretty sure that compassionate, coordinated healthcare is something on the top of everyone's mind. That is why I love Live by Advantia Health. From primary care to mental health and gynecology to obstetrics, Live understands these are all connected and important to you. Live is a membership based practice in the heart of DC that prioritizes your experience. Plus, Live accepts all major insurance. So take charge of your healthcare on your schedule. And choose Live. Learn more and become a member by searching for Live by Advantia. L I V by Advantia. Now, at Mickey D's, when you buy any crispy chicken sandwich or quarter pounder with cheese, you'll get a free medium fry and free medium drink when you order on the app. So, do you have the app? How are you going to get this deal if you don't have the app? I know you have a phone. Anywho, if you have the app, enjoy your free fries and drink. If you don't, you can't see me, but know that I'm shaking my head ba i am in a time only. I am in McDonald's. valid one time per day. Visit McDonald's app for details. Download and registration required.
2: Yet, yeah, and let's see what this collection of talent, this collection of players looks like under competent leadership. And then at the end of the year or, you know, at the beginning of the season, maybe at the trade deadline, we can make bigger picture decisions. Now, they still could do those types of things at the trade deadline. My prediction as of today would be it doesn't feel like to me that, uh, you know, a lot of shifting at the trade line deadline is coming. It's, it seems like the smoke is trending more towards standing pat. And I really see the logic in it. I, 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 I actually do. Um, and then we'll see kind of in the offseason what things change, what things shake up, um, things like that. But I just think, you know, in the offseason, if they had made all their final determinations on these guys based on an offseason minicamp and film and kind of doing background on guys like, I mean, I just, again, I don't I don't know firsthand or intimately what the front office's opinion of a guy like Zach Levine, for example, was then, and, and even now. Like, we can listen to public statements, but we don't know what it is behind closed doors for sure. But just judging by the way that the fan base seems to have shifted on a guy like Zach Levine, like this offseason, the majority of people that I kind of keep my you know, eye on in terms of keeping a pulse of the fan base were totally resigned to the idea that Zach was not necessarily long for this team. He has completely... Uh, to me, made the made a super compelling case for being a long term piece. Not again, not not necessarily for being untouchable. Like you can't, you know, hang up the phone on anybody. You got to hear everybody out. Um, but you know, I, I just, I, I, there is a level where if if you get too far down the line, um, you're sitting on your hands a little bit. To me, that benchmark hasn't crossed yet, and I totally understand the uh the motivation behind taking the time, doing the full evaluation thing. There have been, as Fred mentioned, um, injuries to this team where you still as frustrating as it, is, as, as it is still, especially in the case of Lowry, don't really have a fully formed picture and evaluation of these guys when Delma's time to. Um, So I get it. I mean, the thing I'd say, and I, I don't think it's fair. Uh, I think it, maybe it's Mark that I've seen on Twitter doing the, I can't remember if it was him or not. Um, but doing the thing where it was basically like the Bulls and the Hawks by a lot of people were held up against each other as, um, well, look at, you know, the Bulls have been stagnant. The Hawks are making their push. They're, they're pushing their chips in. They're, they're shaking things up. Ah uh, the Pistons too were used as a, as an example because they're actually a new front office,
1: yeah suddenly
2: um, like of, shaking heat. things up, yeah, and then I mean, you just look at where those teams are right now. Atlanta is not a perfect example because they face so much injury misfortune that and their schedule gets significantly easier in the second half. I actually think they'll end up uh riding the ship, um especially you know i, I you get the new coach boost and things like that those those things are well documented um but i I think there's a rush to kind of to kind of, you know, harden opinions and, you know, have the, you know, get frustrated. But at the end of the day, I to this point, and it, it sounds like maybe a cop-out thing to say, but the front office hasn't actually done anything yet. And maybe it's just because they haven't done anything, period. But nothing that they've done has led me to believe that they can't be trusted in terms of their approach, which has been patient, thorough, you know, all the buzzwords you want to use. Um, so for me, I, I totally see it. Again, I, and again, it's because I'm a writer. I'm always going to be the guy that sees – both sides of stuff like this, because I think both sides of it are legitimate. I said this to Fred over text. I, I pretty much can see both sides to any argument that is not titled the Stark-Afford movement. Any... So I, I, <laughs> I see both sides. Um, but to me, I, I totally understand if they stand out at the deadline, it would make total sense to me. I'm a guy who has, and maybe it's because I was up close, up so close last year and you watch every game this year, and you just see the little ways that this team has grown. I just don't see why you wouldn't ride that out. Like, why why toss it away early when you don't necessarily have to um and then you can kind of take stock um in the off season so even
1: yeah even if our tourists has made the decision let's say he made the decision last summer i'm going to trade zach and i think his other one of his other most tradable assets was thad young in the summer can you imagine if we would have moved both of those players in the summer compared to where their value is now even if he moves them now we're going to get exponentially more for both players than we would have got last summer. Am I wrong in that assertion?
2: percent, no, 100%, 100%. I actually don't even – I remember trying to pinpoint that straight value in the offseason, and I didn't even know what it was just because th- he played as well as he could have given the role that he was assigned last year. But um, I don't know. It was tough to find a suitor for him last year. Now it's like what team couldn't use it that young?
3: Right. I got to I gotta interject one second here. My offseason plan was like trade Otto Porter and Larry Markkinen for everything you can right away. Because, like, as soon as you didn't reach an extension with Lowry, yeah. you knew, like, you're not going to get him. And we're not going to get more for Lowry. We're going to get nothing for Lowry. No,
1: so, we'll see about that. I think if he plays well from this point forward to the trade deadline and they move him, it might been my argument that we talked about last summer. I still think you get more for Lowry Markkinen than you would have in the summer if he plays really well. If he continues to play at 19 points per game and shoots at pretty so the, the The, the, the problem games spread, is, Fred, you're
2: now, you're now trading him further along on his timeline. So that... I don't I don't know, but that could potentially offset
3: whatever gains he's made in the production department. I, I don't think you're gonna get anything for Lowry. I don't even think you can trade him. No one's gonna want him. And he missed like half the season already, he's hurt every year. Like who who's gonna trust him, you know, going into a free agent year and say, like, yeah, I wanna I wanna bid on this guy where there's like a crap ton of money in the market and he's probably gonna demand twenty five million dollars, you know, to play one side of the court and I'll probably have to match it or let him walk. Because there's just no one else out there. Like it's 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 such a weird dynamic, and I think like Lonzo Ball, like for the Pelicans, is in a similar situation. Like they might not really want to keep Ball, but no one's really going to give anything up because no one's going to want to pay Ball twenty something million in the, in the offseason, and it, and it might cost that because there's again no one available. Yeah. And, and so it's just a weird it's a weird dynamic. Um, and maybe on that point, Rob, what do you think? Do you think the Bulls have a chance of keeping Lowry? Or do do you think they want to keep Lowry? What do you think is going to happen with that after after the offseason, Assuming nothing happens at the deadline.
2: Yeah, I, it's it's hard because again, all the all the public comments on Lowry from Billy throughout kind of the nitty gritty of the season, and then AK kind of at um, pressure points, um, you know, during training camp, just now last week when he spoke, have all been overwhelmingly positive about Lowry. I again, I. I I can't claim to know like what they're thinking behind closed doors, a hundred percent. So I, I can't say with a hundred percent certainty, I just know that if there was a gap in negotiations, the way that there was this off season, it's it, the onus is to me, at least based on what I've seen, this is personal opinion. The, uh, to me, I still think there's onus on Lowry to prove that that gap should be closed and, and a little bit more in his direction. Like it just has to sustain a, a little bit more of the hot shooting or he needs to add, you know, more components of his game, which you know, who knows if that can happen midseason. So I, I, I really, I really don't know. I could see it either way because there's a level to this where, you know, maybe if he does end up inking an offer sheet that's below market value or around where the Bulls had originally pegged him, then it's worth it to match. Even if you're not in love with him, um, it's worth it to match, and then you know, just see what you can do with him as a quote unquote asset. I hate calling players assets, but just you know, it, you know, you know what I mean. Um, or it's possible that everything they're saying is true and that they really do love him and view him as a long-term piece, and we'll see. The thing the thing that's inescapable, though, is, again, I, like I've said, I get the thorough evaluation, the um, the patience with the roster and seeing how things unfold under fresh leadership. But at some point, even with all the progress they've made, which we can talk all day about, as Billy has said, they're still 16-18. and 18. They're still a fringe playoff team. They're still a fringe play-in team, to be honest. And this second half is going to tell us a lot, And, you know, again, this team is unpredictable to me. I don't know exactly what they'll do. They've surprised me before. But it wouldn't surprise me if this second half, um, you know, especially if there are injury concerns, which, again, like you can't – nothing is guaranteed. Um, You know, if it goes off the rails, as much as you can parrot the progress of this group, which they've certainly made, at some point something – not just something is going to have to change, but something significant because the core, as it's constituted, you know, no matter how much we like the guys as individual players – Together, it hasn't meshed, and even this season, which feels like maybe not the best case scenario of it, but it feels like they're scratching their potential. Even scratching their potential is, you know, a fringe playoff playing team. So, all of that's to say, uh, yeah, all of that's to ride the fence again and say uh, maybe I'm riding the fence and not riding the bu- riding the bus uh, in this episode. But, um, <laughs> uh, that I don't know, and it'll be interesting to see. Um, but it, it's certainly true that trading with the deadline is a is a difficult proposition. That's and that's a swap that I've seen floating around Bulls Twitter, Lonzo for Lowry, and in some senses that makes sense because if you're either of those teams, like you, you know that's the only proposition that you can move one of them for. Um, but at the same time, I just like don't know how much it moves the needle for either side. As much as I do, you know personally, you know like Lonzo, and I, I, I just, I just don't know how much that would even move the needle for either side.
1: Would you make that move? Would you make that trade?
2: Um. Nah, I don't know. Because it just puts you in the same situation with the restricted free agency thing. Yeah. I I really don't have an answer. I I don't think it's a slam dunk though. So maybe for that reason, I would say no. If I was really really sure of it, um, but yeah, I mean that's the that, that's the thing is like I do like Lonzo personally as a player. I think he'd fit well on the roster and he's a good connector. But with that looming and without a really tidy trade that I could neatly say was a win for the Bulls, it it's it's one that I would have trouble with.
1: Rob, one of the yep. few players that brings Kay and I together, and uh, I think Doug to a lesser degree. I think you you like this player too. Is Wendell Carter Jr. I'm kind of shocked at the level of venom for this player. He's 21 years old. I think he's rock solid. I hear a lot of people throwing out the uh, I think the ridiculous assertion he's undersized for a center in a in a league that's going small everywhere. And he's undersized, really. You know, he's undersized for Joel Embiid, obviously, and and Jokic, but uh, he's fine for everybody else. You know, what say you? What's your could you help make a defense and, and, and maybe shed some light on why the fan base is so against our, our, our Wendell?
2: Well, I, I wrote this, uh, I think, last week that if, if you know, career arcs were decided on how guys fared against the 2020 2021 iterations of Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, Rudy Gobert would be on the trade block right now. So, you know, it's... <laughs> Those are guys that are tough to match up with, and certainly I think the vitriol, vitriol might be a strong word, that's kind of crazy, but the the, the criticisms of Wendell certainly got louder around those two games, and again, I totally understand it. Um, I understand the criticism that he is a little bit undersized for a center, I think the wingspan compensates to a degree, but really what I think causes the dissonance between Wendell believers and Wendell detractors is he just has to stay on the court long enough to put a consistent sample size together. And I just think the longer you watch the guy, the more you see the fundamental kind of elemental ways that he affects the game. And I just am really intrigued by his offensive potential. I always have been. Um, I just, you know, the way that he reads the floor his passing ability put in the right positions, which I think he started to do this year. And, you know, that's another reason that the fad thing is so tough. It's not, it's not as if he's just some veteran that is easily replaceable. Like he has a very unique skill set and a very unique set of experiences that, um, you know, make him valuable to a bunch of different players across the spectrum on this Bulls roster. But um, I've just always been intrigued by that. Uh, I was always intrigued by the jump shooting potential that hasn't necessarily borne out. Although, um, he is uh, he is sixty percent uh, since he returned from injury. If you don't, uh, then follow that up by saying that it's on five total attempts. Um, so you know, I, I've always been a little bit higher on Wendell. Like, do I do I, do, do I necessarily think that he's a slam the slam dunk long-term center of the future uh honestly no because who on this roster are you sold on as a real mainstay um for the long long term other than pat uh, just because he's the new regimes guy um and again i've been impressed by him and zach like i or who could you even make a case for um so you know again i'm always going to be a little bit of a believer in wendell just because i see the flashes offensively i see the flashes defensively uh, i just think for the for the two sides to come together on this one, he's just going to have to be on the floor for a more extended sample size um, to be able to kind of show that on a more consistent basis. Because you know there was a moment before that uh, I can't remember which game came first. I guess it was the Philly game, but there was a moment when I think they were six games into his return where people seemed to really be coming around on him, and he had, he came out he came in that Indiana game, and I think immediately affected their physicality kind of as a unit. Um, and you kind of you kind of saw the the specter of the potential there, and then you know it's up and down. And I think people get frustrated with the shooting uh, ups and downs, which is fair. And I think the the quote-unquote undersized thing comes up there, too, um, because he's just not necessarily uh, an explosive, you know, roller in the way that some other bigs um, in the league are, um, or an explosive finisher. I mean, he has his moments. Um, Even that little, you know, mid-range jumper that, uh, you know, on the pop or on the short roll that he's tried to add um, has been up and down, so... Uh, but I, again, I think this is a guy that I don't, I, I should have looked this up before. I don't know how many games he's played in his NBA career, but because of these injuries kind of keeping him out of the lineup, I can't imagine he's played even close to two seasons worth of games, um, right. you know, most of the way through his third season. And the pandemic affects that too. It affects that for a guy like Kobe as well. Um, but, you know, this is a 21-year-old center who's still kind of coming into his own. I see the potential. Some people don't. We'll we'll, we'll just see how he does for the rest of the season. I think him, Lowry um, are really the two. Because and especially because they've kind of been interlocked ever since they were paired together in the front court, and it's it, it's clear, right? I, I don't think I it's being of turn to say that that front court pairing is probably not um, you know long for the city uh, in terms of those two being together. Um, so you know th- those guys are the two that I probably have my eye on the most uh, down the stretch here.
3: Yeah, I'll say one thing about Wendell: where the rubber will hit the road with him is how much money he demands. You That's know, it. like when a guy's on a rookie contract, everyone loves him you know, even like Lowry, like I'm not like a huge fan of Lowry, but at his salary, sure, he's amazing. Like if we keep him at this salary for four more years, you know, sign me up. It's when you're going to have to pay him like 20 million next year or maybe more, or maybe who knows what. Uh, And if, if he signs for 15 million next year, you know, I'm in on Lowry too, even though I don't think he, yeah, I'm not as high on him as a lot of people, but if it was for 15 million, I'd be, be in on him. And Wendell's going to be one of those guys too. Like if, if he was at like $5 million a year, I think everyone would be like, oh, heck yeah, we'd love to keep Wendell. But once he hits free agency, all these young players that you kind of like and you see them growing and developing, but then you see their first contract when they hit the open market and teams overpay for guys because they're young and they think there's still a little potential there and whatever else happens, uh, then all of a sudden they become less popular. Like Wendell might be another guy who, in, you know, if he has a strong year next season, could be looking at $20 million a year. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, do I really like Wendell that much? I mean, it's not dynamic offensively. And, you know, might turn me from a Wendell supporter into a Wendell detractor at that price tag. And that's, that's just a, a difficult thing about managing an NBA team that AK and ME are going to have to go through uh, with some of these young players as they've not proven themselves to necessarily be stars and they, they hit free agency. And, and those are the toughest contracts to negotiate or give up on or trade in advance because the players have value... Uh but now you're talking about their value on the court relative to their market value, and then how much improvement they have left in the tank after four years, and and you know that becomes a much more difficult uh, conversation to have than just like can you pick out a good player in the draft, but like that that cap management piece of it uh, starts to come into play.
2: Yeah, and and the one th- and the other one thing I forgot to say, and I'd add quickly, is the elite skill conversation with Wendell. I I, I see that criticism a lot, and I, I mean I think it's fair. I think. He's someone where multiple aspects of his potential need to come together um, for it to become, a, you know, a more uh, harmonious proposition. Doug, when you when you do get to the um, eventual deadlines on on reaching extension agreements and things, like that, and thinking about what his actual uh, financial imprint on the franchise would be long term. Um, but the, the 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 criticism that he isn't necessarily elite elite in one area is one that I see and, and acknowledge. Um, it's just the the optimist uh, for his development. Um, would argue that his game is so versatile he can affect the game in a bunch of different ways, which is something you can't necessarily say about everybody on this roster. Um, like it's just it's just a roster that's been a depleted of two way players really for the entire rebuild. Um, so maybe that's what attracts uh, you know the, an optimistic view of him. Um, but yeah, I certainly see that criticism and I get it. It's just um, you know at some point third year he, he's kind of running out of time to
3: prove it, but still not totally out of time to prove that. One thing I'll just add to the Wendell conversation uh, real quick is I want to say it was Bill Simmons who coined this phrase, but I, I might be mistaken. But he was talking about like uh, table players and how much guys take off the table or leave on the table in terms of like their skill sets. And I agree with what Rob said that Wendell may not have an elite skill set and that criticism might be fair. But he's a guy who doesn't take anything off the table. Yeah. Like, if, if he kind of develops, like, he's, he's a solid passer, he's a solid defender, he's solid on the pick and roll, he's solid on the interior, you know, he's solid uh, blocking shots, he's got pretty good hands to make steals Seven offensively. He, yeah. he could maybe jump, he could maybe get a jump shot, you know, he can he, he doesn't really take anything off the table. And so, while he's not great at anything, the fact that he's not bad at anything, you know, allows you to use him with a lot of different players in a lot of different ways. And while all of that has not come together yet, I think that's what what makes the people who are supporters have some some positive feelings because especially if that jumper just comes around a little bit you could really see how it's just like wow he really just plugs in a lot of ways that's an awesome way to put it that's a great way to put it
1: i would like to explore the possibility of the bulls going instead of being sellers like they always are or often are pulling a 2009 when they traded for brad miller and john salmons and you know kind of making a playoff run. And that really led to you know huge development from Noah and Rose in that seven-game series against the Celtics. And there's four names that are out there now as potential players that are on the, the trade market. So I'd like to explore these four, get your opinion in, on these four players or specifically who do you like the best out of these four um, and if the Bulls actually become buyers. And that would be Harrison Barnes, Kyle Lowry, Lonzo Ball, or Victor Oladipo. Out of those four, what name do you like the most? What name do you like the least? Maybe go through each one and tell me whether or not you think there are realistic options for the beloved.
2: Yeah, I'm. I, frankly, I'm not sure any are realistic options, but we could talk through like what the hypothetical merits would be. Uh, Harrison Barnes is my favorite name uh, that you listed there, just because he's been terrific this season. Um, Sacramento has probably slid to the point uh, that if I was them, I'd be probably looking to offload and not try to necessarily compete in a loaded Western Conference. I'd be looking more towards the draft. Because uh, I do think they have a, a terrific backcourt of the future in place um, in uh, in Fox and Albertan. Uh But he's certainly a guy that you would think would be out there. Um, the, the problem becomes salary with him uh, if you're not going to give up Zach at And obviously you wouldn't because the motivation would be to continue pushing towards winning. Um, so your next highest salary is Satoransky. I was toying around in the trade machine with these guys earlier today trying to figure it out. Um, and it would be like a Sato-Felicio deal potentially. Um, you could possibly talk about something auto-centric. Uh, but then you know it, it gets complicated. You have to add a hanger on from the Kings side. Um, anything auto centric, you don't know necessarily like how much additional draft capital. I guess I guess for the Kings from the Kings perspective, you'd be opening up cap space because you'd be off of uh, Barnes' long term money. I don't know how much that they necessarily it's, value it's that.
1: Like nineteen and twenty and eighteen, it actually goes down. It's actually I think quite reasonable. He's making like eighteen million in twenty twenty three for what yeah. it brings. Um, it, it's kind of, a, I think, a value contract for, for his performance this year.
2: The declining you know, contract is a huge uh, source of appeal. The problem that I get into really with buying generally is because I think it's one thing to talk about the opportunity cost of potentially not getting a first-round pick um, for you know, trading a guy like Thad or selling off on any of the vets. To me, it's a totally different conversation to talk about selling off future first-round picks that you already know for a guy like a Harrison Barnes, for a guy like any of these guys on the list if it came to that. And the only reason, you know, we don't know exactly what the package would be, but a guy like Harrison Barnes, you just figure there are going to be a a bunch of different contenders in the mix there. And if you get in a bidding war, I just don't know if I want to be in a bidding war and mortgaging future draft picks. So that's part of what made the Bulls' situation appealing uh, for front office candidates, for coaching candidates, is they aren't in draft debt. And you have a front office. It's kind of the root of the argument for selling um, would be that this front office came in as highly touted for their talent evaluation. You want to give them as many bites of the apple as possible. I'm not sure that getting in a bidding war, as much as Harrison Barnes is my favorite name on the list, I don't know if a bidding war for him where you're giving up future draft capital that you already own um, is something that is necessarily like, I just don't know if he puts you over the top enough that that proposition is worth it, uh, but he is my favorite name on the list, um, and I think he's, a, you know, he's just a really valuable archetype, the 3-4, um, kind of two-way wing. Uh, Lowry, uh, I, I love Kyle Lowry as a player. Again, you get in a situation where um, it's probably Otto and then who knows what the, the draft uh, expense is. The other thing about Lowry is uh, Michael Grange um, of Sportsnet up in uh, up in Toronto reported today pretty unequivocally that he's not going to be dealt and had um, his agent Mark Bartlesein, I believe it is, uh, quoted not anonymously in the piece. And like they were pretty unequivocal about that. Now, again, who knows? I guess anything could change. But it it, it didn't seem to me that despite all the noise around Lowry, the way that he's publicly addressed it on his Instagram and that report it kind of seemed to me that I'm just not sure that he's out there as much as I think he's terrific. Uh, I love Kyle Lowry. Um, Lonzo Ball we talked about. Uh, I like him as a player. Uh, it's just a tough, pretty much the only trade that makes sense for either side is Lonzo for Lowry. I'm not plugged in enough with the Pelicans to know if Lowry's even somebody that would help them. So that's that's another bridge of the conversation that you'd have to have. Uh, but that's a tough one for me to get to from a practical standpoint. Uh, and then Oladipo... Interesting. Um, another one where you'd have to scrap probably a two-for-one um, from either side, whether you include Otto or whether you go like a Sato Felicio from the Bulls side. Um, I, I see it. He hasn't played well in Houston. He's an expiring. And are you willing to commit to him long-term right now? He just turned down you know, $22, 23 million, 20, 22 23000000 a year from Houston. He's shooting like 38%, 38%, 39% since he got there. He just hasn't necessarily looked himself. Again, I don't know the full nuances of it. Um, but he, someone that I'd be a little bit wary of, especially again, if I'm getting in a bidding war, uh, over him. So I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just a coward when it comes to team building and like putting myself (laughs) in the executive chair, but like, I I just, I, I just do not see necessarily the value, especially for this specific list of guys in buying. It's just, it's maybe a little too rich for my blood. I don't know. I'm I'm curious what you guys think, but I generally, you know, am a little bit probably too cautious and pragmatic is probably a kind way to say it or. Cowardly would be a not nice way to say it
3: um, when it comes to kind of hypothesizing this sort of stuff.
1: Doug, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I, th- I think the the one thing, Rob, and I, I completely agree with this, is the guy you target of this group is Harrison Barnes. If you're going to go for one of these guys. And obviously that just depends on what the cost for Barnes would be. But you start looking at the players. Oladipo has been hurt a lot of his career. He's really only had one good year in his entire career. And, uh, you know, that, that I think is, uh, I don't know, I think it's a little overrated by his name. Like, the name is more valuable than the player. And Harrison Barnes, uh, I, I think he's, he's young enough that he can still be around for a while. And I think maybe he's gettable. Like, if you look at the Bulls trading, say, Otto Porter Jr. And, uh, for Harrison Barnes and then Jabari Parker, uh, which matches salary-wise. And then <laughs> you uh, throw in a draft pick. Uh, where you protected? give them a, do you think that's yeah, enough yeah, to top, get it done? Top, I top it. 10 protected draft, top 10 protected pick, um, you know, this year. And then maybe top eight next year or something like that. Uh, you know, and then, then I think that like, that's, that's a probably better draft capital than Sacramento is going to get from another team for Harrison Barnes. Like that, that might be if they wanted to unload him and I, I don't follow the Kings enough to know if they want to unload him, but if they wanted to unload him, Like, I don't know that they're going to find a better deal than that. Uh, And, you know, from the Bulls' perspective, like, they're probably trending around pick number 10 in the draft this year. So if they they end up falling off and it squeezes under that, they'll get to keep it. Otherwise, you know, they'll send out, say, pick number 12 or 13 to the Kings. And, you know, that's generally not an impact player. You know, sometimes, obviously, sometimes our impact players there. But the the typical guy drafted around that is a – you know, a starting caliber player in like three or four years, sometimes a bust, sometimes better, you know, like I, I think like that's not something that's so crazy, you know, to give up. You start looking at the Bulls picks in that range over time and you've got like Tabo Cephalosha, Doug McDermott, you know, like it's like those are the types of guys you're likely to get there. So, you know, I think I think that would be a trade I would consider if I was going to, to go in and, and buy. And if that was on the table, I, I think I'd probably do it.
1: Well, Simmons mentioned Bill Simmons mentioned on his last podcast that the Celtics are, you know, actively looking for him, and he's connected as well as anyone. So that's part of the reason I include it. I like him because I think he can give you some minutes at the three, and I think that's a hole for us. You know, he's kind of like a similar player to Patrick Williams, where he's probably more of a four ish player now, but uh, he can still guard some threes. I think. I don't think he's great defensively, but he's adequate probably by this time in his career. Be it'd be a really interesting team going forward though, you know, either him or Lowry. I'd love to see him swing big with Lowry, who can also play off ball. Uh, and I think that'd be an interesting signing. But regardless, I'd like to see him be, be buyers as we go down the stretch here, Doug. If you, if, I got one more question, unless you got one more.
3: I'm I, I'm I'm tapped out, and we've already I, one last used question. A whole hour of Rob's time.
1: Yeah, and Rob yeah. can't thank you enough. This is it. I mean, uh, it's all good. The bus is we're pulling the bus in right now. <laughs> And uh, as, as you get off the bus right here to uh, to drive home um I got to ask you I, I got into an argument not an argument a friendly conversation with bull scripted who basically said that you know the bull should have traded Wendell Cutter jr. to move up to three and draft Lamelo ball and I countered like I wouldn't even make that move today you know as good as ball has played and as good and talented as he is, I'd still ride with Pat will and Wendell Cutter Jr going forward what say you?
2: Um, well, and and then the root of that is that report from around draft time that they were in talks to, to move from what four to two with Wendell attached. And I, truthfully, I actually don't even know the, the, the veracity of that. Um, so yeah, in terms of, if I do that today, I, I just, I can't do anything other than reject the premise because I just hate the idea of litigating a career arc for these guys after, you know, these guys are 19 after yeah. 30 games. The way the way that I come down on it beyond and you know Fred we talked before the draft like I was a Lamelo optimist yes I you were right as Lamelo optimist I could not have seen what he's doing right now coming I mean it's unbelievable what he's doing um, even for you know someone who was high on him he's obviously special he obviously looks as good as you could possibly look through whatever thirty thirty two thirty five whatever however many games he's appeared in to me the the reason I feel comfortable enough rejecting the premise is because I've been impressed enough. With what I've seen out of Patrick Williams, where I feel like when you factor in the positional archetype, the physical tools that he has, the flashes that he's shown of shot creation, the shooting percentages, it's all low volume, but they're they're holding up nicely to the halfway point of the season. We'll see how that all progresses in the second half. They want him to shoot more, um, so we'll see if that kind of comes to fruition. Um, and then you know all, all the cliche things, but that are true, which is you know the you know everyone calls him a sponge. He's um, he's uh, super committed to you know learning the process of it leans on his vets, has adapted to the quick turnaround very, um, you know, very adeptly. In my opinion, there's been ups and downs, but who are there not going to be ups and downs with when you're 19 years old, you're the second youngest player in the league. Um, So again, you know, if the, if LaMelo had been there at four for the bulls, I would have advocated for them to pick him, And I think the bulls would have been, you know, well off for it, but in terms of, you know, even hypothetically talking about that trade right now, I think I'd be impressed enough with where Patrick Williams was, is right now. If I'm a bulls fan, that I feel pretty comfortable just letting that one roll off. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I get it because fandom is, is kind of a torturous existence, um, it, you know, no matter what. So I get why, you know, people get to that conversation of, of thinking about that and, and maybe second guessing it or what ifing it. But for me, you know, just let the chips fall where they may. I wrote this down, I jotted this down in my notes. And I'm not comparing any of these players, but it's 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 kind of funny to think about. Like, I think it was the 2013 draft. Like, 30 games into their rookie years, would you rather have Michael Carter, Williams, or Giannis, you know? Uh, I'm not saying that any of these players are comparable, but it just shows that kind of after 30 games making these declarations, like, you got to let it percolate for a little bit, especially when guys are coming into the league so young. Like, you see a guy like Julius Randle this year in year seven completely reinvent himself. Like, you you just got to give these guys time. As we were talking about with the on-off split sample size thing, you got to give these guys a couple years before you can really make final determinations on them. Um, I think the Bulls can be – comfortable enough with the timeline that they're on right now and uh and you know see how the chips fall
1: yeah all all the credit to lamelo though i i definitely did not see him shooting the ball this well i mean that was a major issue with him and somehow he's been able to shoot a, oh, I can very, hear the pain in incredible. your voice oh, so sweet <laughs> well i'm just glad they didn't take denny average i was right about him i think you were uh, right about it, right it. <laughs> anyhow all right, well, as we wrap this up, I can't thank you enough, Rob. You gave us an hour, and this has one, been one of the best shows ever. I think you would agree, Doug. Uh, and it wasn't definitely wasn't because of my input. It was uh, Rob's input <laughs> that really put it over the top. And uh, great job, man. It was great to have you on, brother. And you, where where can people find you? Tell us uh, what you got coming out. Uh, w- what's going on with you?
2: Yeah, so on Twitter, uh, at Rob underscore Schaaf, uh over at com, you can read any of mine or my colleague Casey Johnson's stuff. Uh Bulls Talk podcast, podcast feed, uh, we're on YouTube now too. Um, over there it's me, KC, Jason Goff, Tony Gill, uh, two times a week, uh, which is always a fun time. Um, and we'll have some second-half preview stuff. We've been rolling that out a little bit throughout the week, but we'll have more uh, coming tomorrow uh, as we're taping this on a Wednesday night uh, with the second-half opener against Philly coming Thursday night. Uh, so that'll be good. Other stuff in the future, um, you know, still a little bit TBD in terms of scheduling and, and other things like that, but I'll just leave that – um, to uh, following the social accounts, the, the websites, and, and things like that. I'm, I sound 70 years older than I am. I sound like I'm talking about NBA top shot right now with, with how aged I am. Uh, but, yeah, those, those would be the places that, uh,
1: that you can find it. All right. Thanks again, Rob, for joining the big Red Bus DT. Always good to talk to you, my friend. Have a great evening, brother.